And we're going to continue our series on holiness. And um, it's the fifth, in fact, it's the fifth installment of the series. And we are delving deep into it um, and uh, to give a really comprehensive overview of this doctrine of holiness and various aspects that are associated with it because they're all tied together and they're connected. And so, um, so I'm doing my uh, utmost to, uh, to uh, teach it this morning and in its context. And so last week, you will remember, uh, we looked at the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, and we made emphasis of uh, that uh, God was going to write his... Uh, put uh, his law in our minds and write it on our hearts. And so we looked at the, um, the, the New Testament uh, emphasis and revelation, really, of the Spirit of God and the dispensation of the Spirit because holiness is connected to the Spirit of God at work in our hearts. It is the inward first, that first man- before it manifests anything externally that is operating within us, the Spirit of God. So... Um, that's what empowers us to make the, the choices and to empower the will to do what we, God would ask us and require of us to do. And so you'll remember that we've made an emphasis that holiness positionally is in Christ. In Christ, we have through Christ's sacrifice, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, having believed by faith and made access, having access to this grace that's in Christ, we have been declared righteous, and so we're partakers of the divine nature, as the Scripture tells us. So holiness is in Christ. That's important. And then we touched upon last week that practically in the Christian life, holiness which has its application, if we were to define it, and there's probably many ways you could define it, but fundamentally I believe it is this. It's holiness is likeness unto Christ. So positionally it's holiness is in Christ. Practically, in its manifestation, outworkings in our lives, holiness is likeness unto Christ. And so in our conduct and the way in which we live, we have to conduct ourselves as Christ would. And uh, the more we become like Christ, the more right, uh, righteous our decisions will be, the more we'll separate ourselves from evil and those things that are not pleasing in his sight. And again, these are the fundamentals. And so, there, or, you know, I call them the, two, the twin pillars of the doctrine of holiness. And the outworking of holiness in our lives finds itself in two roots. We've looked at one last week, and that was the spirit. You may recall we looked at the dispensation of the Spirit, which we're a part of, we're in now in the New Covenant, and the administration, meaning that the Spirit is now working in us and through us to accomplish that work because we are being conformed to the image of His Son. By, by the, uh, as Paul would say, that glory the glory of God, then, that we are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God at work in us. So we considered the Spirit last week, but I want to look at a different aspect this morning in the Word. And uh, if we were, again, if we were to just define it, last week we looked at the reign of the Spirit, if we could put it in that context, the reign of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us. 
And we have to come under the, the, the reign of the Holy Spirit if we're going to, to, uh, to pursue and to live a, a life that is holy and pleasing to God. But then there's another aspect that I want to look at this morning that we find in the Scripture, and we can refer to it, as scripturally speaking, as the reign of grace. The reign of grace in our lives. Now, these two are explicitly connected together. In fact, you would say that grace comes first, even though we're looking at it secondly. But uh, God's grace is really important in the topic that we're talking about and in the context of holiness as we understand it in the Scriptures. They are linked together. And isn't it interesting that before we even consider anything that's outward yet, which we haven't, but we will get to it eventually. But all we're doing at the moment is we're laying foundation stones. We're laying biblical principles. We're laying the doctrines of holiness that we find in Scripture so that you can understand them. So that uh, uh, before we even touch upon the will and all the actions that are associated with the pursuit of holiness, as the Bible would refer to it as, we must understand these foundations. We must understand the root in order to live a life that's pleasing to God. And so we want to look this morning at uh, the reign of grace because the Bible's very explicit and again in its teaching and we're now we're going to go a bit more deeper into the word. Last week and we've been looking at things in the general sense but we're going to go delve right into some scripture this morning. And look at it uh, as it's revealed to us and taught to us in the scripture. And so I pray that God would help us to understand and open our understanding. And a lot that we're talking about is repeated. A lot that we're talking about is repetitive, but that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. Because it's as we hear things repeated, as the scriptures reiterated, it's as these things we get continue to get glimpses, it's we continue, God continues to reveal things to us so that we can grasp the greater picture. So I pray that God would continue to work in us and help us this morning as we consider his word. So let's pray and ask his blessing. Father, we just come before you this morning. God, I ask, Lord, that you would speak to hearts. Those that are gathered here this morning, God, we need your spirit to speak to us. We need, Lord, the Holy Ghost, God, to reveal these great truths. Lord, to teach us and lead us into truth. And as we abide in your word, Lord, we know the truth, and the truth will make us free. So, Father, I pray blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's read from Romans chapter 5. We'll just read verse 20 and 21 as a text, but we're going to be looking much more. So keep your Bibles open. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Paul writes, and he says, Moreover... The law entered. Now we've looked at the law and we'll see it again. The law entered that the offence may abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, grace might reign. The reign of grace. That's where we're getting the title here 
in verse 21. And so again, we have to establish the context. Because the, the, the epistle to the Romans is a pretty complex letter and, uh, and to follow. And especially in the context that it's been broken up into verses and chapters that were added, obviously, for clarification and other things. And so sometimes when we read it in the context of those chapters, we can kind of get dis, uh, disconnected from some of the, the, um, the flows of Paul's writings and his thinking and his sh- the little shifts that take place in various from verse to verse and where Paul's going and so forth. Because, you know, we think, okay, we're at chapter 5, so now we're at chapter 6. But chapter 6 is still flowing the same thought hasn't shifted, hasn't changed. And so uh, it's not like something new is being introduced. And so it's important to, to note these things because especially in the context of verse 20 and 21, Paul is developing a thought that he starts from verse 12 of chapter 5. And so, in chapter, so if you look there, and it's important because there's a shift in verse 12, in the context of what Paul has written, especially in the, the previous chapters. And, uh, and I will make this note again, that we, so we would understand the gospel, Paul is talking about previously to this, from verse 12 previously, he's talking about how the gospel deals with our sins. Or in other words, our transgressions uh, and having broken the law of God, having been guilty before God and having now the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and having been reconciled. And in chapter 5 verse 1, therefore, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so Paul is explaining how the gospel deals with our sins. Because if the gospel didn't deal with our sins that we have, and the transgressions that we have committed, then we're in serious trouble, right? And so the gospel deals with that. And we have a tendency to understand that as a foundation. And that's important. But you know, the gospel is more than that. The provision that God has made and the gospel deals more, not just with our sins in Christ Jesus, but also the gospel deals with our sinful nature. The inherent sin that dwells within each one of us, that even as Christians we have to deal with, that we have to work through and ultimately gain ascendancy as the Bible would explain to us to learn to live and walk in the Spirit and you will not what fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Again, holiness is really in essence what we're talking about. And so God has made provision for these things. And again, Paul's going to give us an understanding of that in our text. And so look at verse 12 of Romans 5. And I'm going to read through it now in, in, its, in the whole context of verse 21. So follow with me. But Paul is talking about, obviously, again, Christ and having been reconciled to him. He says in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world... And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam, who first sinned, to Moses. Moses then brought the law, 
even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But as the free gift is not like the offence, for by one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offence resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from uh, the, the free gift which came from many offences resulted in justification. For by one man's offence death reigned through the one, which is Adam, through to all of us. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Now mark those words. We will reign in life. In what life? The life of Christ. We'll see, we'll see this. Through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification in life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Again, moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as in sin, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is bringing a contrast between Adam, the first, the first Adam, as the Bible would refer to him, and the second Adam, which is Christ. And so, again, just bringing that distinction, he's making the emphasis that sin came into the world and uh, through, through one man's offence, and we all were, were sin passed to all men. We all died in Adam, and having been born, we're born into spiritual death, separated from God because of one man's transgression. And so the gospel then, obviously, we understand, it brings about justification because of one man's righteous act, Christ, and his sacrifice at Calvary, and having um, uh, uh, died for our sins, he now has uh, corrected that. And now we are born again, and we are in Christ, and we are now justified, we are declared righteous. This again is positional, okay? But Paul is touching, he's going to touch on more, not just now that which is positional, but that which is practical, as he talks about righteousness. Because righteousness is, like I said, holiness is in Christ. Righteousness is in Christ. But there's a practical outflow of that that must be seen and observed in our lives because Paul says um, that we would learn to reign in life. And this is really important. This word reign in life or reign, uh, the reign of grace in our lives is really critical for us to live the Christian life. It's one thing to be saved. It's one thing to be delivered. It's one thing for us to have received the inheritance of eternal life. But now we've got to live the Christian life. We've got to be holy as he is holy, as the scripture tells us. And so the question is, in what way does grace reign in the new covenant this morning? 
In what way does grace reign in the new covenant? Because the Bible clearly tells us we're saved by grace. We are saved by grace. But you know, grace accomplishes much more than that in our lives as Christians. Paul talks about the fact that grace is abound, abounds much more where sin abounded. Because again, the law didn't make anyone righteous. It just exposed sin. It, just, it made sin abound more and more in humanity because, as, the, as the law did because of men's sinful nature. And so grace comes and grace now forgives us of, and is super abounding. But is grace just about covering our sins? That's one part of it. It's a glorious part of it. But God's grace, the reign of grace for the Christian is much more than just having your sins forgiven. It's actually living a life free from sin. It's about living a life from the, free from the power of sin. It's about living a life that is uh, uh, having dominion over sin. That's what the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 6. And we'll get to these things now because we're going to work through the scripture here. And this is important because the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And it's the reign of grace that we are to live and abide under. And so the grace of God is much more than just us receiving salvation this morning. God's grace is to abound. And grace abounds and reigns in righteousness. And so Paul is thinking in these terms because in what we read from verse 12 onwards, Paul again is speaking positionally. But as he's writing this, his mind is shifting. He's thinking not just now in the positional sense, but now he's thinking about the practical sense of righteousness and living a life, living in this life, living and accessing uh, the, the grace of God to live a life that is holy and acceptable and pleasing in his sight. And so grace reigns through righteousness. It's a righteousness that is imputed to us, the righteousness of God that is by faith. But again, we're dealing with something far more important, uh, well, not far more, but as, as, as important as is being demonstrated here by Paul. Because as Paul's laying, about, laying down this glorious truth of God's grace and our standing in Christ Jesus uh, and so forth, uh, he anticipates how some may interpret what he is saying. Because, uh, because salvation and God's grace this morning is a wonderful thing. But don't misinterpret it or don't take it for granted. Uh, because God's grace is more than just your, the forgiveness of sins. God's grace is about you being empowered to live free from the power of sin. And that's why Paul uh, uh, will, 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 will deal with these things. Because, you see, we are not in... A, Bible, listen to this. You know, if we are born again, we are not in Adam anymore. We are in Christ. And that's what Paul is contrasting in Romans here in chapter 5. Now, we're not, we're, we're not one man in Adam. All these things happen. But now in Christ, this is the result. And so positionally, we are now in Christ. Even though we were born of Adam. Born in Adam, so to speak. And we'll see that as we look 
a little bit further in just a moment. But the gospel and God's grace accomplishes us, accomplishes a holy life in us. That's why Paul would write in chapter 6, look at chap, I mean, yeah, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So because God's grace is so superabounding, because God's grace is so glorious, Paul anticipates that there's potential to misinterpret and take for granted the grace of God that leads to our salvation. So, because, you know, if sin abounds more, as it did under the law, because the law caused sin to abound much, much more, it provoked sin and brought it out. And not only that, where there was no law, there was no transgression. So the law multiplied sin on a great level. And, but where, 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 the, where sin abounded, uh, grace abounded much more. And that grace was multi, uh, ultimately manifested in Christ Jesus, who died to take away our sins. So there are those who would say, well, then if my, if, if, if my sin gives God glory, if my sin brings into action his wonderful grace, then, gee, if I continue to live in sin, then that only gives God glory and it glorifies his grace and allows his grace to continue to be superabounding. And Paul, what does he say? <laughs> Absolutely not. Are you crazy? No. Absolutely not shall we continue to live that way. Just because we have a standing that's righteous doesn't mean now we are free to live whatever way we want to and think, well, you know, once saved, as they say, once saved, always saved, and so we can just kind of live however. And, uh, but that's an abuse of God's grace in Scripture. The reign of grace goes much deeper and broader and it applies practically to our lives this morning. See, Paul will go on to talk about the practical aspects of this in, in chapter 6 of Romans. And he'll deal with, he'll refer to the phrase holiness on a couple of, in a couple of instances. Because this is what is important this morning. When we talk about the reign of grace and the grace of God, we are talking about an empowering to live the Christian life. Look at, I'm not going to go there now uh, as an exposition, but let me just draw your attention to it. Look at verse 14 of chapter 6. He says, For sin shall not, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So Paul is saying that grace gives us an ability. God's grace gives us an empowerment to, have, to be free from the power of sin and to live uh, with dominion over sin. Does that mean that we never sin? <laughs> don't have the answer to that, but no. We, 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 um, we are, uh, if anyone says he doesn't sin, the truth is not in us. So, but again, this is the standard. The stand, this is God's standard. This is the provision that God has made. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you are under grace, not under the law, but under grace. And so Paul's going to show us how the gospel deals with our sinful nature. 
so that we can live victoriously. And this is really important for us to grasp as we consider the reign of grace this morning or the reign of righteousness or as the Bible talks about it and refers to it in chapter 5, the reign of life in Christ Jesus. This is all through the Spirit, the Spirit of God and the grace of God this morning. And so we, the Christian has to learn to appropriate God's provisions. Let me give you an example. How is it that we appropriated God's grace in the first place? Through faith, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Now, faith is not a work, okay? Faith is, uh, is us trusting God. It's just believing what he has said. And, it's a, and so that's a choice that we make. And so faith is something here that we access. We may have accessed the, to the grace of God. Salvation is a free gift. And so faith appropriated that in our lives. In the same way, when it comes to the, the, life, the, the Christian life and sanctification, it's the same principle. If we're going to access God's grace and we're going to access the power and provision that he's given us in, in and through his spirit and to live a holy life, then it's going to come down to the same thing. Faith, believing what God has said and accepting what, uh, he has, the provisions that he has made. And as we simply trust God then in, in those things and say, yes, amen, then we will receive from God the power and the life and the righteousness and all of those things and we will begin to bear fruit to God in our lives so that we can live a life of holiness. That's why Paul writes in Romans 1 in verse 17 and he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith to faith. Faith is something that we develop. Faith for salvation is one thing, but faith when it comes to appropriating the, 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 the provisions of God and the fullness of God and all that God has made for us in Christ Jesus, it comes down to the same thing, faith. But we go from faith to faith. We grow in faith. For the just shall live by faith. And so faith is critical in this context So look at, we've said, look at verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, Paul says, certainly not. Absolutely not. Now why? Why? So Paul's going to explain to us why we can't live a life to continue to live in sin. Now listen to what he says. How? Look at verse 2. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You know, in the judicial reckoning of God, God has dealt with our sins. And now that we are born again, we are in Christ, we are declared righteous, we have the grace of God, we have the Spirit of God, and we have all that is ours in Christ is in us, then, then uh, we, how can we continue to live any longer in it? But he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now notice the words here. Uh, he says, how shall we who died to sin? This is, a past, this is past tense. 
This has to do with not only the death of Christ at Calvary, but also when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and when we were born of the Spirit of God and Christ came into our lives and the Spirit of God entered us, then this something took place within us and we were born of the Spirit, partakers of the divine nature. And so all of a sudden now we transitioned from Adam into Christ. We are in Christ. And so he, he says, now if that's the case, and having died to sin, that's what we did when we were born again. Not just in the judicial sense, but in the sense now that we are to, to live a life of holiness he says, he gives an illustration. Look at verse 3. He says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so he's referring now to, uh, he's making a reference here, Paul, to water baptism. But he's not speaking of water baptism in and of itself. If you see only water baptism here, then you're missing what Paul's talking about. He's drawing upon baptism because water baptism this morning is, is, is just an outward expression of something that's what? Happened inwardly, right? And uh, what is it that has happened? He, he, uh, water baptism is only symbolic of the fact that we have been born again and that we have died, and now that we are risen with Christ in God. This is what he's talking about. And so look at verse, uh, verse 3. He says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, you were not baptized into the Christ at the moment that you were water baptized. That's not how it works. <laughs> that was only symbolic of what already happened. And so the day you believed, the day you were born of the Spirit, the day you were born again, you entered into uh, this and you were baptised into Christ Jesus. You transitioned out of uh, now being bound under the law of sin and death and bound by uh, the, the Adamic sinful nature that, uh, that we all have. Now we transitioned and we received the Spirit of God, righteousness that came from God and the Spirit of God that is now in us. So you were baptised, listen to this, into his death. You were baptised into his death. And so how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You can't, you mustn't, because on this basis that we were baptised into Christ Jesus and we were baptised into his death. See, this is reiterated for us in the scripture in Galatians chapter 2. Verse 19, Paul writes and he says, For I, through the law, notice again the law that is being emphasised, I, through the law, died to the law uh, that, uh, and, and all of its um, constraints upon me, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Again, Paul's talking in two contexts here. There's a, he's, he's talking again judicially in the same context that Paul's writing here in Romans. 
positionally. But he's also talking about a practical application of that great truth. Because it's one thing to be justified, but sanctification for the Christian is very important. It's the next phase. And so he goes on. Look at verse 4. He says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. Now notice here in touching upon the reality of Christ's death and resurrection and our identification with his death. He now touches upon the fact that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. And isn't that what baptism is? When we talk about water baptism, we talk about being immersed into the water because that's a grave, having died with Christ and coming up out of the water, we're identifying with his resurrection. And, and that's great, but that's, that's not where it took place. It doesn't happen at water baptism. It happened tr- prior to that. And now we're being told by Paul, based upon this reckoning, upon this truth, this reality, we are to now walk in a newness of life. This is important. Shall we continue in sin? Absolutely not. We don't walk after Adam. We don't walk after the flesh. We don't walk in sin and continue in sin in a willful sense. Not that we don't ever sin. But we're not to live that way. We are to walk in a newness of life. Because what is it? Grace reigns and the life of the Spirit is to reign in our hearts and our lives. That's why Paul, as he continues the thought, he was saying in chapter 8, verse 2, he says, For the law, the law of the spirit of life, not the law of Moses, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's where it's found, has made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law brought about transgression, but grace brings about righteousness. Not just positionally, but practically. And this is why Paul talks about that we have to learn to walk in this newness of life. We have to learn to appropriate the provision that God's made for us in Christ. It's in the newness of life in the spirit. And there is the power that God has given us to live this life. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death... Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so, again, this is just so important, this aspect of life and resurrection. Because when we talk about Christ's resurrection, we're talking about uh, a power. You know, Paul, right, the same spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, what lives in you and me. And this spirit gives us the power then through the, the reign of grace that, that, we, that we are living in, that to live a life that is pleasing to God, to live a life free from sin and the dominion of sin. And then so we are to live and walk in the newness of life, in the likeness of his resurrection. Now let's go to verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. 
So Paul's saying, knowing this, knowing what? That the old man was crucified with him. Now, again, this has become, this has become actually a controversial text and, and means for confusion and uh, because of the way that it's interpreted and even applied. But Paul has in mind, and I believe, when he says, people say the old man, what, what is the old man that Paul's referring to? Adam, that's right. Because some people say the old self, you know, like the old self. Some translations even say it, they'll interpret it, say the, the old self. But do you know when you became a Christian, the self, you were still the same person, right? The old self um, uh, is, uh, or the self is still existent. So when Paul talks about the old man, knowing this, that the, our old man was crucified with him, he's talking in the context of, from verse 12 of chapter 5, onwards. And the old man is Adam. In Adam, the old man has been crucified. The body of sin, that is it's indicative of the whole human race, that's indicative of you and I in Adam, because of the sinful nature that we possess, was judged in Christ. That old, old man was crucified with Christ. And then he says that the body of sin might be done away with. That word, the body of sin, again, talks about now death doesn't reign, but life reigns in us. And the body of sin has been done away with, or that word it means to be nullified or destroyed. So in other words, it's not to have dominion. It's not to have influence and power over us. Because God has dealt with it, in, on the cross in Christ Jesus. And when we believed and when we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. I was crucified with Christ, not in the sense that me personally, but my, my Adamic nature uh, was judged judicially by God. Because, you know, when you become a Christian, you still have to be changed and transformed. That's why I say to you this morning that holiness is is being changed into likeness unto Christ because it's a process. And so, uh, and, and it's in that process that we are being changed from glory to glory. And Paul says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be what? Slaves. Slaves of sin. No longer be slaves of sin. So the old man refers to the federal head of Adam, if you think of it in that context, because now we're not in Adam anymore, even though we have this body that we're still living in, but uh, we are free from the power of sin, so we should be, according to the life of Christ and the reign of grace and the, the life of the Spirit. But now we are in Christ. And so this is important. Let's look at a few scriptures here. Let's go to Corinthians uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Paul writes and he says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Why? Because God has dealt with the issue of sin. He's dealt with the issue that uh, sin that spread to all men. The old man has been dealt with. The old man has been crucified. And so he says, 
that if one died for all, then all died. That, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now we are known know him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The newness of life. We are not in Adam. We are now in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. And we now live for him, is what Paul's saying. We don't know, we don't know Christ after the flesh, or in that sense, because now we, it's all spiritual. The whole Christian life is spiritual, even though we live it out in the flesh. But God will deal with that ultimately too in his plan and his purpose. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became what? A life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living being. The second Adam became a life-giving spirit. We were a living being. When we were born, when we were born from our, your mother, a woman, you were born and you were born a living being in, according to the law of Adam, in Adam. But death spread to all men. We were all in that in Adam. But now in Christ, we've all been made alive. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. And not only that, the last Adam, which is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. And that life-giving spirit quickens our lives to live a life, amen, that's above uh, uh, the normal. We don't live according to the flesh. We live and walk according to the spirit. And so we have to learn to access this life-giving spirit, appropriate this life-giving spirit, because the truth is, is that we don't avail ourselves as we ought to. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Verse 20. So Paul writes again to the church at Ephesus and he says, But you have not so learned Christ. So we have to learn Christ and of him. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. He says, verse 22, That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed, what? In the spirit of your mind. In the spirit of your mind or in the soul. And that you put, listen, verse 24, that you put on the new man which was created according to God. What does it say? In righteousness and Holiness. Now, you know what's important about this scripture? As you study the Greek here, you begin to see that uh, even though Paul now is talking practically to the church at Ephesus, that they are to put off the old man and put on the new. But also, if you, uh, the root here goes into the, the past tense as well, having put off the old man, like in Romans 6, having the old man has been crucified. So the old man was put off positionally in Christ at the moment we were born again. 
So now you have to put off the old man yourself and put on the new man and begin to walk in this newness of life. And this is the practical aspect. This is the outflow. And Paul says the, the new man is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, not just in the positional sense, but now in practical sense. You're going to have to live and walk in righteousness and holiness. You have to put on the new man. You have to not live after the flesh, but after the spirit. And this is the lessons that we all have to learn as Christians. This is what we talk about as Christian maturity, growing into Christ, being taught of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being learned and learning from Christ himself. So the body of sin is being done away with, destroyed and nullified so that we can live a life that is pleasing to God. Because sin no longer is to reign in us. That's why Paul will say in verse 6 that we should no longer be a slave of sin. There's no excuse to be a slave of sin. You know, when the Christian says, I, I can't help it, that's not in God's vocabulary, church. Adam might not be able to, in Adam you might not be able to help it, but in Christ you can. And you're not in Adam anymore, you're in Christ. So that type, of, that type of language doesn't fit the new, the new creation and, and the language of the, of, of the spirit, spirit-filled life. So you can begin to see, I pray that in my feeble attempt this morning, that you're beginning to see the positional and the practical, the beginning to the transition that the gospel is making. Because that's what Paul's doing in Romans. He's, he's moving now out of how the gospel deals with our sins, but now how the gospel frees us from the power of sin so that we don't have to live under the dominion of sin any longer because we died. We're free. We've been baptized into Christ. You've got to live and walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. You have to appropriate this. But so many fail to do so for various reasons. But predominantly, probably the main reason is unbelief and disobedience. Because Paul's going to show us how to live this life. And we're not going to go into those details now. We'll pick this up next time we go and we come back to it. Because verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. In the judicial sense, but also as part now of the, the, the sanctified life. Again, I know the reality, church. doesn't mean what we... We don't sin. But this is the standard. God's standard is pure. God's standard is holy. God's standard is righteousness. Because if you start thinking, well, I've got the grace of God, then you start treating the grace of God in a manner that God never intended. Because the reign of grace was to empower you so that sin should not have dominion over you. That's the standard. Yes, God's grace abounds. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He who says he has no sin deceives himself. So let's not go that far. But the standard doesn't change. The command doesn't change. The expectation from God's part doesn't change. And if we will learn to appropriate these things, then we will be blessed as a result of it. The reign of grace 
Titus, I've said this before, I think I said it last week and I'll say, read it again. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And there it is, that salvation, redemption. But it does more than that. Verse 12, it teaches us. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. Holiness, that we would live holy. That's how we can interpret that. How? By the grace of God. Grace reigns. Grace teaches us. And so I think one of the things that we all have to learn to do is to appropriate the grace of God this morning. Because, you know, in Scripture, Paul says in, 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 in um, uh, Galatians, he says, I don't set aside the grace of God. See, that's what we can do. We can set it aside. There's other phrases in the Bible which have their context, but, you know, Paul speaks in various aspects and we find that it's, 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 uh, people can receive the grace of God in vain in terms of uh, receiving God's salvation and, the, and when God draws them to himself and they, he's giving them grace and he's drawing them. And, you know, the Bible says that they, uh, they, they reject it. They receive God's grace in vain. The Bible talks about falling Paul, uh, to the Galatians about trying to be perfected in the flesh and uh, please God in the flesh. And Paul says, you what? what? You've fallen from grace. Because, uh, again, he's connecting it back to the spirit and the righteousness that comes from God and the power to live that righteous life comes from God, not from our self-effort or some legal, legalistic outward form. And so it's possible to fall from grace. And all of these things, it, uh, 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 in fact, uh, he, God, uh, in Hebrews 12, in fact, it talks about God's discipline. And as God's discipline is to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And then Paul's warning is, uh, don't, res- don't fall short of the grace of God. It's possible to fall short of the grace of God. Even as going, and this is in a different context, but the Bible speaks of it. It says you can even insult the spirit of grace. I mean, see how grace is abused? See how grace is nullified? See how grace is not fully understood? It's not fully appropriated? Grace is not a license to sin. Paul says, what are you talking about? What kind of understanding is that of God's grace? No, he says, under the reign of grace, you have a righteous standing with God and you have the power through the life of the Spirit of Christ to live a righteous life. And so walk in that newness of life. Live it. And so, again, we'll see more of this in chapter 6. But we'll pick that up next time. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. God, I pray that you'd speak to to the hearts and minds of your people. God, help us to grow in our understanding of your grace. Lord, that grace is not a license to sin, but rather, God, it's the provision that's required to be free from the power and dominion of sin in our lives. And Lord, help us to walk in a manner that is pleasing in your sight. Help us to walk worthy before the Lord. Help us to appropriate, God, all that you've provided. 
In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.